Welcome and good evening. Tonight I present to you a vast collection of true, scary stories from all corners of the web. Remember and hit that subscribe button if you enjoy. Anyway, without further ado, let's begin. Number 1 This story took place two years ago. I was on my second week backpacking through Austria and I reached a point where I was too exhausted to walk any longer. It was an unusually hot day. I had blisters all over my feet and I was ready to call it quits. I was in the middle of nowhere and decided to thumb a lift to the nearest train station. But I was out of luck. I stood there for what felt like hours and no car would pick me up. I don't blame them. I spent two weeks sleeping in the woods, my clothes were dirty, and I probably looked like a maniac. When finally a truck pulled up, I didn't hesitate to hop inside, because I was so thankful to be able to sit down and rest my feet for a while. I asked the driver if he could drop me at the nearest station so I could catch a train to Vienna, but he told me that he was heading back there anyway, and that he could take me there as long as I didn't mind him making a stopover to load the truck. I didn't, and so we drove along. We made some small talk, and he seemed to be very polite. It was a pretty enjoyable ride, until we reached the first stop. He loaded his truck while I walked around a bit and bought some water at a gas station nearby. He offered me drinks a few times along the ride, but I always declined, because I don't feel comfortable with that. I got back into the truck and we continued to drive to Vienna. Almost immediately after we took off again, he told me that it wouldn't be a problem for him if I wanted to take off some clothes since it was such a hot day. I told him that I was fine, but he brought it up a couple of more times. He also asked me if I wanted to take a nap in the back and that he had several hitchhikers sleeping there in the past. I declined again and started to feel a little uneasy around him and planned to leave the truck at the next gas stop. All of a sudden, he nearly yelled at me to put my head down and hide because he was driving past his stepfather's car and he didn't want him to see me in the truck. That struck me as odd, but I did anyway because his yelling took me by surprise. That confirmed my resolution to get out of there as soon as possible, and I asked him to drop me off at the next stop and make up an excuse that it was my goal to enter Vienna by foot, and that I was rested enough to make it, thanks to his lift. He agreed and got my stuff ready. He suddenly turned to me and said that I looked familiar and that he was sure he saw me somewhere before. I shrugged it off but he insisted he remembered my face. He asked me if I ever went to a swingers club because he was sure he saw me there sometime. That caught me off guard and I told him that it was impossible because I'd never been to one. He said, well, do you want to go? I'm going to one in Vienna. Let's go there together. I'm sure you'll like it. At this point, I really wanted to get off the truck ASAP and told him that I had no intention to come with him and asked him to drop me off now. He didn't answer but reached into his pants and started masturbating while he drove along. I froze up, clutching my backpack on my lap and didn't know what to do. I kept thinking that I'd jump off as soon as he stopped somewhere and try to ignore what he was doing there since he didn't respond to my plea to let me out. 
a gas station was coming up and he stopped what he was doing and asked if we should take a shower together. I figured that there'd be people around and it would make it easier to get rid of him, so I told him sure. Why not? He pulled up and as soon as he stopped, I yanked open the door and ran across the parking area of the gas station, hoping that he wouldn't come after me. He didn't, so I just kept running until the station was out of sight and I reached a busy street. Only after my heart stopped racing and I caught my breath, I realised that I left my shoes at the truck and kept a lookout for the truck until I reached Vienna. Number 2 I lived in a house from hell for four years, from age 11 to almost 16. There was constantly something happening. Doors flying open and shut, voices, footsteps, nothing ever stayed where you put it. I was alone there a lot because both my parents worked and I was constantly terrified. One of the most gut level disturbing things though was the little girl in my bathroom. Every time I walked past my bathroom door, which was constantly since it was right outside my bedroom, I saw a little girl with blonde curled hair and a rose coloured dress. She just stood there, staring, looking like a photograph from 1905. I started keeping the door closed so I could walk by without seeing her, but she was always there when I opened it. Once I stepped in past her, I couldn't see her anymore but I could feel her there. She scared me, but I felt really sorry for her because she was trapped there, just like me, but probably forever. As the years went by and things in the house continued to get worse, she started seeming darker. I started feeling like she wasn't really a little girl and I felt like it was presenting this sympathetic image to me. Then I started thinking I was completely losing my mind. One day when I was 14, I had a friend from out of town come stay with me for a week. I hadn't told her anything whatsoever about the house because I didn't think she would come if I did. Right after she got there, we were sitting in my room and she left to go to the bathroom. About a minute later, she walked back in with a puzzled look in her face and said, So, there's a little girl in your bathroom? Um, yeah, she hangs out in there. Blonde hair, curls, pink dress. Yeah. You know that's not really a little girl, don't you? I almost threw up. I was so relieved and terrified and excited and ready to run out of the house screaming. She wouldn't use my bathroom the rest of the week, and I started using it as little as possible without pissing off my parents, who did not want to believe. Eventually we moved out and I could not have been happier. I distanced myself from it mentally as much as I could. Then, when I was 18, I took another friend on a road trip to pack up a few things I'd left in the house. My parents hadn't managed to sell it and wouldn't for five more years. The minute we got to the property, my friend seemed uncomfortable. When we came around the bend in the long, steep driveway, he went completely white. I could tell something was wrong, but he insisted he was okay, so we got to work. After a while, he asked to use the bathroom, and I directed him to mine. Not twenty seconds after he left, 
he came running back in, gasping for breath. A damned slammed the bedroom door behind him. He started babbling about a little blonde girl who isn't really a little girl. All of a sudden, he went dead still, looked me in the eye and very solemnly said, She's not happy with you. You left and you weren't supposed to. We threw whatever we could grab in two trips from my car after I walked him to another bathroom and waited outside the door and got the fuck out at top speed. Number 3 So when I was barely 20 years old, I was travelling with a small group of people through China and we were spending about two months in Qinghai province, which used to be a part of Tibet. Our destinations was a specific town to teach English, but we'd been stopping often in towns and small cities along the way. One day we arrived in a rural town, very small, but nothing unusual. We spent only a couple of days there, shopping for food at the markets and walking around to see the sights, although there weren't that many. This was in the dead of winter, in February, and all the grass in the hills and plants around the town were dead and brown. The overall feeling was that of the normal kind of bleakness that any rural place has in the winter. At this time in my life, things were going amazingly, extraordinarily well for me, and I say that because my teenage hood had been rather darkly overcast but the overwhelming good luck of being able to travel and these close friends I'd made in the last year had more than changed my feelings and attitude towards life. It was like I was a whole new person. I was ecstatic to be in Tibet. Went to sleep with a smile on my face every night. On our second day staying in the small town, I woke up feeling a little odd. Not bad, just odd. Like my normal thoughts and feelings had been turned down low like on a dial. We all decided to go for a walk on the hills right behind the town, where there was a small summit with a pile of rocks and some prayer flags. To be honest, there was little altars like these on every other hill, but it gave us something to do. As we hiked up the hills behind the town, I started feeling strange and stranger. I wasn't scared, I didn't feel angry or any strong emotion. In fact, it was like emotion was trickling out of me somehow, and I was getting blanker and blanker, emptier and emptier. My mind started feeling a little hazy, and more and more I felt like I simply didn't care about anything. A small and rapidly dwindling part of myself started to panic, knew that something bad was happening, but it was like my own inner voice was slowly getting quieter and quieter. I remember we reached the little summit and I simply sank onto the ground next to the pile of rocks. Without meaning to, I started tuning out the voices around me and fixed all my attention on the little pebbles in the dirt. I began tapping one against the other repeatedly. Do you know the kind of horror that is opposite of feeling scared or feeling anything at all? The kind of vicious hideousness of a fly buzzing against a closed window for hours on end in an empty room. That's what was filling in my mind. It was demonic in its meaninglessness. I touched my face and felt that it was grinning at nothing. Through all the emptiness, a thought flooded to the forefront of my mind. You should just die. 
At first it sounded totally reasonable, but something in me fought it and I was momentarily troubled. Right then, my group started to walk down from the hill, and I followed. The further we walked, the more normal I felt, until we left the town that afternoon and I was totally freaked out. When another girl Hannah mentioned in an odd offhand way that she had felt something strange and depressed while staying there, I told her that I had felt the same. Then a group leader mentioned that the local had told him that the town had been plagued with a rash of young women under 25 committing suicide. Hannah and I went white. Number 4 In my old apartment, my dog would, on occasion, look down the hallway towards the bedroom, from the living room and growl for no apparent reason. Also, on occasion, when I was sleeping in the bedroom, she kept at the foot of the bed. I would wake up with her staring intently at the door and growling. She was a bad girl, 140 pounds of Great Dane, Catahoula and Slobber. So I'm there for a couple of years of this, thinking, okay, my dog has a good imagination. Wrong. One night, I woke up due to my dog growling. One night, I woke up due not to my dog growling, but barking for all she was worth, and not at the door. She was barking straight at me. I opened my eyes pretty much immediately, and there was a blur of light, leering over me, very close, certainly less than six inches from my face. It was not distinguishable as a person. It more resembled a person-sized version of a colourful nebula you might see in a picture in a science magazine. Three-dimensional and all. I immediately got the distinct impression that this thing had been watching me sleep. For God knows how long and how many times before. For all the clarity of that distinct feeling, I had no sense of what I wanted, whether it was malevolent or just curious. I flipped right the fuck out, I jumped backwards to the side of the bed, too terrified to scream, and that blood of light reacted and disappeared over the course of about three seconds. My dog was going absolutely ape. So shortly thereafter, I asked the building manager if anybody had ever died there. She investigated that and came back to me a couple of weeks later with a yes. A woman had died of a drug overdose in that apartment in 1995. So, uh, 12 years earlier, shortly after having her child removed from her custody because of her addiction problems. My dog still growls at the hallway from time to time, but I never saw it again. I moved out about a year later. Number 5 So when I was a kid, I would race up to the top of the stairs as fast as I could, like it was some sort of silly game. Well, I must have been five or six at the time, I'm not sure, but I know I was very little. Somewhere along the way, a voice at the top of the stairs started to whisper to me. It would make bets with me, such as, I bet you a penny you can't make it to the top of the stairs. I don't really think there was a certain amount of time or anything, as I said. I was very little, so I probably didn't have any counting abilities. Anyway. I recall just sitting at the top of the stairs, having conversations with this voice about betting, of course. Eventually the voice, it was like a whisper of a man's voice, not my own voice in my head, started to bet me my life, instead of pennies. 
Let's see. I bet you your life you can't make it up the stairs. Blah blah. As I got older it stopped. I never really thought about it at all. I never mentioned it to anyone. Until one night I was sleeping over at my brother's place. I was about 18 he was 22. And we were talking about spooky stories. Out of nowhere I brought up the voice at the top of the stairs and my brother got all quiet and weird. Before I even mentioned the betting aspect, he said, did I make bets with you? We both looked at each other, horrified. It certainly was freaky after the fact. A lot of bad stuff went down in my family at that period of time in my life. My mother, a heavily religious lady, said there was a lot of evil in our lives at that time. I don't at all think our place was haunted. It was built in the late 70s and as I got older I never experienced anything like that again. Number 6 So this was told to me by an old family friend, Nikki, numerous times as a kid growing up as one of those life advice stories to keep in mind through the years. And to her credit, I have never forgotten it. Whenever anything associated with hitchhiking comes up, it always springs to mind and probably always will. Makes me a bit ill whenever I think about it actually. So Nikki, who grew up in the same time as my dad, around the early 80s, was a young woman in her mid-twenties. She's one of those real kind-hearted souls, always willing to help other people out at times, you know, that kind of person. And I can't imagine her being anything other than what she was when she was younger, so I totally see her doing this. So driving into the city, about a two hour or so drive out from town, she saw a man walking down the side of the road. As she neared, he turned and in typical hitchhiker manner, stuck out his old arm and thumb. Nicky, bless her heart, pulled over and asked him if he needed any help. She told me that he was really polite, if not a bit shy when he asked for a lift into the city. Nicky gave him a smile and popped open the passenger door for the guy, who tossed his bag into the back seat and buckled up for the ride ahead. They talked pleasantly for most of the trip, about friends, the news. She felt that they were getting on really well and even bought him dinner at the pit stop a little over halfway there. She says he seemed really flustered and awkward when she paid, but one of the things he had talked about was money and how he was pretty dang strapped for cash, which is why he was hitchhiking in the first place, but he eventually relented and they went on their way. As soon as they got into the city, he thanked her profusely for the ride and the food, and asked to be dropped off once they hit downtown. Before getting out, he asked for Nikki's phone number so he could contact her someday and catch up. Thrilled at the prospect of knowing how her new friend was faring, Nikki wrote it down for him and drove off with a warm feeling of good deed done. Now I'm sorry if you're expecting something creepy to have happened by now, but I think this was what freaked me out so much as a kid. How nice everything seemed to have worked out. Nikki would get this crease in her forehead and a funny look in her eyes when she would tell me the next part. A week later, she got a phone call from her driving buddy. He didn't let her get a word in edgewise after hello and told her that she should thank God that she was raised so nice because when he first got in her car he was planning on raping and murdering her once once they got to that pit stop. That he was going to steal that car and dump her body in a ditch further down the road and go in his merry way. But after she talked with him so kindly, 
and treated him to dinner with a smile on her face. He couldn't bring himself to do it. He didn't think that he could live with himself after doing that to such a nice lady. And to please, 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 Nicky, please, never ever pick up another hitchhiker. Then he hung up on the phone. Nicky never got a call from him again. When she tried redialing the number, she got a payphone. And so, Mr. Hitchhiker, I know I'm never going to meet you, because I'm going to listen to the advice you gave your driving buddy and never, ever pick up a hitchhiker. Number 7 So this was when I used to live in a different state. I got a job working as a cocktail server at a strip club, which was a good choice for me at the time, as the club was very fun, kind of metal punk vibe and also very popular with the lesbians and since I was going through the process of coming out as a bisexual and was in a very radical fuck corporate society fuck me let's take their money phase I'm not one of those people who think stripping is super empowering but it was a good fit at the time also while I was there after about six weeks I would often have terrible suffocating feelings almost about to have a panic attack and terrible migraines while working in the club. I would often feel panicked and scared, but I chalked it up to a stressful job in a strange environment. I never had these feelings anywhere else around this time. So the club was really kind of messy, not dirty, but just filled with things. Lots of tables in the bar, lots of speaker and extra crap in the back storage room behind the stage, and a tiny crowded dressing room for the dancers. Behind the stage there was kind of a storage room area that had several dressers and mirrors put in, as well as an old comfy couch in case the dancers wanted to use it in an extra dressing room, or a place to nap, but no one ever actually used it. This room gave me the worst, suffocating, panic-inducing vibes of all, and I had no explanation for it. So I would often be at work until 4am or later, since I didn't have a car public transportation wasn't running, and it was kind of a sketchy neighbourhood, I would wait until one of the dancers was done for the night and she would drop me off at home. This was often after my own shift ended. When I first started working, I would spend that extra time trying to do side work, clean and straighten up like a good employee, but after a while I would often just hang out in the back room studying, since I was also in grad school at the time. Until when I started completely freaking out in the back room, dancer's dressing room, the feeling would mostly go away. So also when this stuff started to get worse, I had to add that some of it was around Halloween, so I was watching lots of scary movies. And I was also smoking a ton of pot, so both of these things might have been an effect of my psyche. But also these feelings never happened anywhere else around this time. I started to kind of bring it up to the dancers that would drive me home. One said, the back room also creeps her out, but didn't go into any detail. So one night after closing, I was carrying a box of extra glasses into the back room, and I heard the most terrifying sound of my life. It was like from a horror film, like a long screech, almost like electronic music, but just one tone almost like a chainsaw that reverberated around the entire floor and walls. I dropped a box, screamed and ran out to the floor. The bartender said he had heard a noise as well, but not as loud as me and without vibrating floor walls. 
and started checking the sound system, telling me some of the music equipment had probably just started fucking up. This happened at least five more times when I worked there. Sometimes other people heard it, sometimes just me. Always when I was walking into the back room. Twice when I walked into the back room, the lights would flicker off and would be replaced with a red glow, like someone had put a red light bulb. Both times that had happened, I ran out, got the bartender, they would check and the light would be totally dead, not working. After a while I was constantly shaking and didn't want to tell him every time something happened since I was afraid they would think I was crazy. After the noise and the red light, I would never go to the back room, even when I should have been cleaning it. One time I was standing in the hall between the dancers room and the back room, half half heartedly sweeping the floor and staring into the back room. I was starting to feel the panic in my chest, and I kept telling myself to look away and look into the dressing room, but I couldn't stop staring, like I was transfixed, and in the corner of my eye I saw a reflection in the mirror, set up leaning against a dresser in the back room. I forced my head to look and I saw, in the mirror, two legs in black ripped tights, floating about a foot from the floor swaying back and forth. I threw the broom, screamed as loud as I could and ran to the bar. I was convinced one of the dancers had hung herself in that room. I could see it so clearly in my mind. Of course, when we went back there, there was nothing. One of the dancers was convinced that the room was haunted and I was seeing a ghost. She thought maybe someone had killed herself back there. She wanted to get me and some of her friends to do a Ouija board about the bar and the ghost, but I was too terrified. Around all this happening, I felt I was losing my mind. I was having panic attacks, migraines. Sleeping with my lights on, was terrified of my shadow and carried pepper spray everywhere I went. I may have just been a combination of everything in my life. Sleeping weird hours, grad school, dealing with my own personal problems. But I've always been a high stress person who's worked a lot more stressful jobs since then and I have never experienced anything like that ever in my life. About a week after I saw the legs in the mirror, I was working one more shift before taking a week off to do some research for the grad class and going a long weekend trip with my girlfriend. This was near Halloween, so the club had kind of gone all out and had goofy decorations and costumes. I usually dressed in all black anyway and tried not to wear anything too sexy or distracting, so customers would mostly leave me alone and concentrate on the dancers. So this day I just wore a black skirt and t-shirt but had my face painted like a Mortez sugar skull. It was mostly white with jewels and it was fucking rad. Since I was so freaked out all the time in the club I started asking if I could leave her at midnight and watch Catch the Last Bus. But this night my friends were meeting me to drink at the club after my shift. I was near the end of my shift and was taking off my apron in the dressing room and leaned over to the dancer's mirror to check my makeup. And that is the last thing I remember, until I was being shaken awake by one of the bouncers with a friend and my girlfriend by my side. I was in the haunted back room laying on the couch, and my face painted was completely smeared all over my face. They said I had disappeared for about 45 minutes until they went looking for me, and found me asleep, and had been trying to shake me awake for almost two minutes. I was completely hysterical, I had no idea what had happened. My clothes weren't disturbed, my tip money was still on my apron, and there was almost no way anyone had been back here all night. 
I was almost afraid I had been drugged, but right after this event I went to the doctor, um, knowing health insurance so this was a big deal to me, and got checked out and had them give me an MRI since I was afraid I could have a brain tumour or something that made me lose my mind. They suggested I speak to a psychologist. After that night, I had to quit the job and never went back. Besides those horrible events, I loved working there and made a lot of friends, but I obviously lost my mind, and once I left, I never felt any of those feelings or saw anything like that ever again. Number 8 I'm going to be super legit in this story, but I've changed all the names and some minor details that I cannot be identified. So please don't dox me, because as you'll read, there is someone out there looking for me and I do not want to be found. I've been working for a few years for this really great company in Phoenix. I started as a file clerk while in college, but my boss took a liking to me and offered me a full-time position in the company after I graduated with a very nice salary. So I recently bit the bullet and put my life savings into a very cute pre-World War II cottage bungalow in a safe, picturesque, historic neighbourhood downtown, a short walk from my office. The house has been remodelled beautifully with a new kitchen and bathrooms with a chrome fixtures and a clawfoot bathtub. The hardwood floors are original, as are the steel casing windows with the old original glass. It also had a working wood fireplace. I was so lucky with my new house, because my realtor's best friend was also a realtor, and she told her about the house, so I made an offer after looking at it, and the seller took it without ever putting it on a market. I felt like I'd stolen it because of its location, and the fact that the seller, a single man in his 50s, had parted with it so easily. He never counter-offered or had any demands. Probably the easiest real estate transaction ever. Pretty early on after moving in, I was cooking dinner after work when I heard a knock on the door. I checked the ornate metal peephole and there was an elderly, slender white gentleman on my porch. He was dressed in grass-stained old jeans and a flannel shirt. He looked like a haggard and sweaty, like he'd worked on a farm. He had a vacant look in his eyes and wasn't very friendly when I greeted him. I couldn't understand him that well either. He mumbled and spoke low and said, I used to own this house. He knew things about the house, so he must have lived here at some point, but he wasn't friendly about it. In fact, he said he would mow my front yard for $20. It was getting dark and I didn't want to talk to his creepy ass anymore, so I just said, no, you don't have to do that. Why don't I see what I have and maybe you can come back tomorrow and tell me more about the house? He just stood there, so I turned to get my purse to get him some money. When I turned back to the doorway, he was gone. I stood there for a second like a dumb shit with the money in my hand. I figured he had been angry that I said no and he'd begun to walk away from the door. So I poked my head out farther, but he wasn't on the porch. I walked down to the driveway to see if he was by the side of the house, but he wasn't there either. It was weird, but whatever. I had a housewarming party after moving in and had all my friends over. Everyone was having a good time except for my friend Katie. I noticed she was only hanging out outside. I went outside to clean up some cups in the backyard and Katie was out there smoking a cigarette alone. She gave me some bullshit about having to leave and when I complained that she had just gotten there and we hadn't had a chance to talk yet, 
She grabbed my arm and looked at me very seriously and then said, There's an old man in there. I didn't understand, so I jokingly told her that there were a couple of old men in my house right now, but she didn't laugh. Another night, I had my friend Nathan over, and we were, um, in my bed, you know. Um, I was on top, and just enjoying myself, when I began to notice that every time I would moan, I could hear someone else moaning through my bedroom wall. It freaked me out so much that I hopped off and seized all activity. Putting on my robe, I asked Nathan if he heard the ghost moans, and he looked at me like I was crazy. He had no idea what I was talking about. A few weeks later, I had been all excited to use my new home's wood-burning fireplace, so I had Nathan over again. We were drinking wine by the fire, like fancy people, when we heard a buzzing noise coming from the fireplace. I leaned over to the fire to see where the buzzing was coming from, when suddenly... As I am laser focused on the inspecting the fire. Six big black carpenter bees fly out of the fire right past my face and into my living room. As soon as I realised that these are bees flying out of the fire, I screamed and ran out of the house, abandoning Nathan to his fate. Two minutes later, Nathan comes running out holding a flaming log, he lifts it over his head and throws it on my front lawn. As soon as the log hits the ground, it splits open and a swarm of black bees come flying out. The experience with the weird old guy, the ghostly sex moans, and these fucking fire bees all had me freaked out, so I was like, I need a roommate. I asked around and my friend Kelly said that she needed a place, so I offered her the front bedroom. One night after Kelly moved in, we were walking home from our favourite bar after last call, and we almost made it back to my house, when we noticed this guy walking behind us, about two streets back. It was late and dark and we were in a very quiet neighbourhood, which rarely has car traffic in it due to its many annoying speed bumps, so he seemed slightly out of place. He had on dark jeans, a grey hoodie, with the hood up, and he was coming up on us pretty quickly. Me, being my dumb, good girl self, was all like, oh it's nothing, don't worry. But Kelly was smarter, or maybe just drunker than me, and she took off running. I stopped walking and laughed at her, running away from me at a full sprint. Then I turned and looked back to see what the guy behind us was doing. Suddenly, he starts running towards me. It was like a flight or fight response and I just instinctively started to run too. Kelly was still running ahead of me. I could hear his footsteps slapping the pavement behind me, but they didn't seem to be close. This dude was running hard. I was too afraid to turn back to see where he was. I was trying to formulate a plan but all I could hear was his footsteps getting closer and closer until it was all I could hear. And I knew he would be at my back in a few seconds. Up ahead, Kedley suddenly jerked to the right after passing a row of tall or leaned lining the corner yard in the first house in our street. I remember thinking, oh no, she's leading him into her house and we're going to have to fight this guy. I started to hear the swishing of his jeans as he came up behind me. As soon as I turned to the right to follow Kelly down our street, I was tackled from behind and taken down to the ground on the wet grass in front of the yard of our house. As I was falling, time felt like it slowed down, and I mentally prepared myself to go wild on this dude. But as soon as I hit the ground, my kicks and punches began connecting with air. There was no one there. It seemed I had just tripped and fallen. I was laying in the yard by myself, drunk and dumbfounded. I looked behind me, 
the running man had vanished. Still terrified, I got up quickly and ran down to my house. Kelly had made it to her front porch and was waiting for me. He's gone, he's gone. He's gone, he's gone, I whisper. I whisper yelled to her as I ran up to her. We quickly went into the house and kept all the lights off, peeking out the living room window for the running man, but we never saw him again. A few weeks later, it was late at night and Kelly and I were chilling watching Handmaid's Tale when we heard a knock on the door. It was my neighbour Karen, so I invited her in, but she didn't seem happy. I asked her what was up and she asked me if I was about to go for a run. I'm like, no, why? Well, I just talked to your friend who runs with you, Karen said. I was confused. Who? Karen continued with concern in her voice. I, I didn't get his name. He was just outside looking through your window when I came to take out the trash. I asked him what he was doing and he said he was waiting for you guys to come out. He said you go running with him. Immediately, I thought of the running man who had chased us down the street and then disappeared. I asked Karen to describe him and she said he was wearing a grey hoodie. I asked her what happened to him and she said she didn't think he was her friend so he came right over and knocked on her door. When she turned back to look for him, he was gone. I called the police, I told them about being harassed by this guy and the board dispatcher took all the info I had. I asked for an officer to come by to take her statements and look around. I felt like if running man saw the police at our house he may leave us alone. Kelly and I waited all night. We saw a police car drive up and then back down the street and then park at the end, sit for five minutes and then take off. The next morning, I called the Phoenix PD and filed a complaint, but I have never heard anything back from them to this day. A few weeks after this incident, I was doing some yard work and I went to look at the side of the house the running man was caught peeping into and right in front of my bedroom window on the ground were four fresh cigarette butts. Kelly recently moved out last month and it just terrifies me to come home to this place alone. I can't sleep and now have awful sleep paralysis nightmares where someone is trying to get into the house where I dream of blackness with just sound of human screams. I can't take it anymore. I want to be able to use this house for my future family. But now, honestly, I just want out of this house. I'm afraid the running man will come back and murder me instead of just watching me from the windows at night. I'm afraid of the nightmares and the bees and noises. I just feel like this house is almost cursed or something. Now I know why the previous owner never put it on the market but wanted to sell it so quickly. Because now I want to do the same. Number 9 Made this account purely to participate because I have a recent weird experience. The story is from about two months ago. I have no clear explanation for what the hell happened and it took me three attempts to work myself up to remembering it and enough detail to write it down. So here it goes. My husband and I are moderately unambitious hikers, as in we enjoy going for a bit of a hill climb in the morning and then visiting a local brewery or something in the afternoon. In about mid-August of this year we decided to head over to a nearby civil war battlefield we live in Virginia, about 85% of our parks seem to have been Civil War battlefields, so this is not considered a strange thing to do at all. 
A friend of ours and our two kids are visiting from Arizona, so we invite them along. The group is composed of me, the husband, our friend who I'll call Sarah, and our two children, Tyler, who is 14, and Alicia, who is 11. We set off on one of the marked trails, but it's more difficult than we had planned. We scramble up and down about three heavily wooded hills, about 40 degrees, and climb up and down on trails that are eroding pretty badly thanks to all the recent rain. We stop at the bottom of the hill, number three, looking up at hill number four from a bridge over a creek to catch our breath. Sarah and her husband are both trying to stay positive. Alicia is huffing and starting to whine and Tyler clearly thinks we're all idiots and wishes he were anywhere else. Admittedly, he's a 14-year-old boy, so he always seems to be on the verge of this attitude. While Sarah and the husband are working to rally the troops, I am retying my boot and craning my neck to see if there's a secondary trail that's a bit less vertical that we could follow. At which point, I see him. Now, it should be noted that we have seen no other hikers until this point. This is a little unusual as this park is not far from town. It's accessible through our neighbourhoods and we've seen several dog walkers on the way in. However, we've taken what is clearly more of a nature trail than the flatter, better maintained historic trail to the battlefield and cemetery. So I'm not initially concerned by the appearance of this new person. Quite the opposite, actually. I've been worrying for the past 30 to 40 minutes that we've lost the normal hiking trail and have been mistakenly following temporary stream cuts over hill and dale. In my newfound enthusiasm, I wave at the figure who's too far away for me to make out features except they are wearing what I think are dark long trousers and a long sleeve shirt. As I do, my husband says, Honey, who are you waving at? I turn and see the guy, pointing at the top of the hill, but he's no longer visible. I shrug it off, thinking he must have started down the trail. We finally make it to level ground about 20 minutes later. The trees are even beginning to thin out as we walk along a long ridge. We stop for another breather, water break, at the first historical placard we've seen at the park. As Sarah reads aloud about General Whomever and his exploits in 1860-something, I notice Tyler standing about five feet away looking back down the path. I wander over to check on him. Who is that? He asked me as I got close, pointing down the trail. He's acting weird, Tyler says. I remember feeling my scalp shrink up a bit under my hair as I say, trying to sound unconcerned and like the responsible adult in the situation. Weird how? Tyler says, I think he's crawling or something. Look. Now I really don't want to look, but there's still a possibility that Tyler may be fucking with me because he's bored in 14. So I look. And I don't seem whoever Tyler is pointing at for a minute, until I look at the ground near where the trail levels off at the top of the hill, where there's a dark man-shaped thing laid out on the ground, kind of belly crawling. This is the point when I realise two things. One, I cannot make out any features of this person, not clothes, not face, nothing. They're just uniformly dark, like they're perpetually in a shadow even while they are crawling across the sunnier parts of the trail. And two, we need to not be in the woods anymore, as I turn to Tyler to tell him to move for the visible battlefield area, where there are also several tour groups and dog walkers visible. 
My husband Sarah and Alicia suddenly join us, having noticed we were not participating in a historical marker read-along. The husband asks me what's up, and I say, quietly, so nobody panics. We need to head out. That guy is creeping me out. My husband squints down the trail and says, oh, what guy? I look. Dude is still there. He's paused in the belly, crawling, and is kind of concealed by some bush. And he still looks like he's in a shadow, but he is visible. The guy crawling towards us, I say, sure this will convince my suddenly unobservant husband that shit is not right. The husband squints right at the guy, clearly does not see him, and looks at me confused. Tyler proving that all my bad assumptions about teen boys are wrong in this case, sensibly decides that he's not going to wait around for the adults to sort this out. He takes his sister's hand, which I've never seen him do by the way, and I've known this kid since he was 10, and starts walking quickly towards the sunlight and non-shadow people. Saro follows them immediately without a word to us, at which point the man's shadow starts crawling towards us again. I'm done, needless to say. The woods, which has had me feeling very cool and nice on a hot August day, now seems clammy, cold, and inexplicably quiet. I drag my husband along with me without explanation, as it's clear he still isn't seeing the crawling man or whatever the hell it is. We make it out into the maintained sunny battlefield, almost at a run. I do not look back until we are very clear of the woods and in glaring sunlight with many non-shadow people nearby. I cannot see the man in the trees. The tree line we have just emerged from appears extremely dark in contrast with the bright, sunny field. But I can't shake the feeling that he's still back there, just past where I can see. I don't want to freak anyone out more, especially Sarah and Alicia. Both of them are notorious scaredy cats, like Sarah almost threw up in terror on the haunted mansion ride at Disney World. So I didn't say anything, I just watched the woods very closely as we explore the battlefield. The biggest problem now is that to get back to the parking lot, we have to go back into said woods. Luckily the trail from the historical area is not the one we were on and is much wider, flatter, shorter and full of people. I make the executive decision to behave like a herd animal and manage to chat our way into amongst one of the tours of Civil War buffs. We all walk off together towards the parking lot, without incident, but I do note that Tyler is again sticking close to his mother and sister and is not objecting to having to move at our new group's slow pace. Once we get to the car, everything seems fine. The pressing feelings are gone. It's just the Virginia woods in August again. We wait for most of the group to climb into cars as we say our goodbyes. We're towards the end of the queue following one couple in a big SUV down the one gravel road out of the park. Suddenly the SUV slams on the brakes and we almost rear-end them. And then they sit there in front of us, on the only road out of the park, for no discernible reason, for several minutes. Finally, the chorus of annoyed horns behind us seem to snap them out of it and they start driving again. We follow, and as they exit the park, they pull over. My husband decides to check and see if they're okay, because he's a genuinely nice person. He pulls up and rolls down my window. The driver rolls his down and my husband asks if everything's okay. Sure, the driver says. But boy, that guy crawling across the road about scared the life out of me. At which point I heard Tyler say hell no from the backseat behind me, 
I feel sweat popping out along the small of my back despite the AC. My husband says, what man? The SUV driver, who I think looks pale and kind of freaked out, but that could be me reading into the situation, says, you didn't see him? A guy in dark clothes, army crawls across the road in front of us. You didn't see him go into the bush on the side of the road? No, says my husband. I'm on the verge of hyperventilating at this point. Seeing this, my husband wraps up the conversation with a comment like, Huh, so weird. Well, if everything's okay, then we'll just be going. Then he rolls up the window and drives damn fast out of that neighbourhood. We compare notes that afternoon, carefully, so as to keep Alicia and Sarah calm. Tyler and I saw the shadow man, whom Tyler independently described as a man-shaped shadow, crawling towards us on that last ridge. Sarah would not admit to seeing anything though, she seemed extremely uneasy for the rest of the day and would not let any of us mention it to Alicia, but again she might have just picked up on the vibe of the rest of the group. My husband didn't see anything, but did note how quiet the woods had been for the last 5-10 to 10 minutes of our hike. I have not the slightest clue if what we saw was a very messed up person trying to scare us, or something supernatural. But I can tell you, I will not be hiking that particular park anytime soon. Number 10 Two years ago, I got severely, awfully sick, probably the flu. I didn't go to work for the entire week. It was all I could do, just keep myself drinking liquids and soup and shuffling to bed. The worst part was my husband was travelling for business, so I was all alone, just me and our sweet black cat Libby. I was so sick that even watching a movie felt like too much effort, so during the day I was just lying in bed, dozing in and out, sometimes looking at Calvin and Hobbes books. Libby was with me, sitting on the bed next to me the whole time. The second or third afternoon, while lying there, I suddenly and very clearly heard strange noises, like someone wheezing and shuffling around since the room had been completely silent with no music or TV. I could hear it perfectly. It sounded like whatever was making the noise was in the room with me, so as soon as I heard it, I sat up and looked around, my heart pounding. Nothing. Just my bedroom. But Libby was also sitting up and her ears were perked, so it was clear she could hear it too. Libby started loudly meowing and hissing as if in response to the noises, and I could no longer clearly make them out. I should mention here that ever since we moved to that house about six months ago, Libby had started acting strange in ways she never had before, sometimes making loud meowing hissing noises like for no apparent reason. We had taken her to the vet because this behaviour was so unlike her, but they couldn't find anything wrong and said maybe she was feeling anxious from the move and to give it some time. We would often find her upset and meowing and hissing when we came home from work and it would be a while until she settled down. Libby left the bedroom and went to the kitchen, still making those noises, and didn't stop making noises in there for at least an hour. I was freaked out, but also really sick and tired, and somehow I ended up just falling asleep. When I woke up, all was quiet again, and Libby was sleeping in the bed next to me. You might think those noises would have made me too scared to stay there, but I somehow convinced myself it was nothing. 
just the house settling or something like that. I was too tired and out of it to think about it and I basically was like, whatever it was, I'm sure it's nothing. I don't believe in ghosts and I tend not to get too scared about stuff. So I was just like, don't get worked up, it's nothing. I didn't even mention it to my husband when he texted to ask me how I was doing. Plus, I was so tired and out of it and willing to just sleep. The next day, however, about mid-morning, I was awake in bed, kind of petting Libby and not really thinking about anything, when I see her go alert and her ears stick up. Then I hear it too. Noises. Really astonishingly clear this time. Like it was in the room with me. Of something moving in what sounded like labored breathing. Wheezing. This time the hair on my arm all stood up because it sounded so close and so human. Libby starts hissing and meowing again loudly and incessantly without stopping. I get out of bed and start getting dressed. Not even sure. Not even sure what my next move was going to be, honestly. Except that I was really and truly freaked out now. When suddenly, clear as day, a male voice says loudly and angrily, Shut the fuck up, you piece of shit. That is it. I grab still, hissing Libby, and put her in the carrier, grab my purse and run out the door, not stopping until I get to my car in the driveway. Then I book it out of there. I almost hyperventilate. I'm so scared. I call my husband and tell him what happened, and then I check into a hotel. My husband called his two brothers who live in the same town, and they went to our house to see if they could find anyone there or anything like that. Nothing. And no noises. One of them said maybe I was having an auditory hallucination from being so sick. I stay at the hotel until my husband returns a few days later. But before he picks me up, he decides to go to the house with his brothers to do one more thorough examination because he believes me that it wasn't an auditory hallucination. The three of them look at my room, even under the beds, and see no sign of anyone being there or forced entry. Then eventually one of them gets the idea to check the crawl space. There, they do not find anyone, but they do find blankets, pillows, empty chip bags, pornography magazines and liquor bottles, some of which were empty and some filled with urine. We had actually had the crawl space completely redone after the inspection, so it had LED lights all along the inside and pretty well insulated with plastic from any water. So as soon as they turned on the lights, they could see someone had been there. It looked like most of his items were positioned under the side of our bedroom and the kitchen. That's why the noises seemed so near because they really were. They called the police who came over and wrote a report and took pictures. We decided to stay with my husband's brother family for a while. As I was too freaked out to stay at our house, at the advice of the cops, my husband set up a hidden camera in the crawl space to see if the guy will come back. He doesn't for several days, to the point where we think he must have somehow known his spot has been found. Even though we tried to put everything back where it was, then footage, my husband watched it and I couldn't bear to. Instead of sitting beside him and listening, he says, Oh my God, I, I know him. Look. So I do. It's the assistant of the guy who renovated our crawl space. I remember him because they were there for over a week working on it. And even back then he gave me the creeps. 
Turns out, once the cops pursued it from here and arrested him, he'd been fired from the job not long after assisting with our house. He didn't tell his family about it, and was instead spending his days, at least sometimes, in a crawl space of the house he helped renovate. To think Libby was trying to tell us all along. Number 11 This just happened a few months ago and blew my mind. My elderly aunt, who is 90 years old, was not doing well and was staying at a nearby hospital when one night I woke out of a deep sleep. I look at my clock and it's blinked 4am. Not thinking anything of it, I rolled over and immediately fell back asleep. The next thing I know, I'm in a very vivid dream where I'm sitting in my kitchen holding a baby girl. In the dream, I'm consciously aware that it's still 4am, so I'm awkwardly cradling and shushing this baby as not to cry and wake up my parents. Suddenly, there was a knock on the kitchen door, and two men in 1950s style suits, fedoras and pencil-thin moustaches were standing outside. Without saying a word, I opened the door and gave the newborn to them then watched as they walked down the driveway into darkness. I woke up the next morning and immediately remembered everything about the dream. I went down to the kitchen where my mother greeted me with the bad news. Her aunt passed away last night at 4am. Thank you all for listening, and as always, it's been my pleasure. I'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.